Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl King today with Scott Wapner at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and David have the morning off. Nice bounce in futures, up 200. Still well on track, though, for the third consecutive weekly loss. NVIDIA is the good earnings news today. Deer, not so much. Europe's green, but the 10-year boon now yields a record minus 72 basis points. Back home, our 30-year yield hits a record low of 198. Our roadmap begins with a whiplash, a wild week for stocks. We are on pace for the third straight weekly loss. Uh, could a Friday rally, though, turn it around. Yeah, and the great debate, recession or a slowdown? Two Wall Street titans weighing in this morning. And GE CEO wants investors to know he believes in his company as the stock suffers its worst day in over a decade. So we do not need to tell you we're heading into the final trading day of this volatile market week. The three major indices each down more than 2.4% week to date. Keep in mind the S&P and the Nasdaq still posting double-digit gains for the year with the Dow not far behind. Interestingly, we're almost exactly at levels we were on this date a year ago. In both the Dow uh, and the S&P. And today we're left with, you know, the, the conversation of the, of the moment. Is this a uh, Walmart and NVIDIA market or is it a Deer and a Cisco market? And that focuses you on the two big arguments. Is the consumer strong enough to carry you through or is business sentiment and the business cycle deteriorating uh, to a point where you you have a problem? Uh, and we continue to look at yields around the world. We mentioned the German boon, Mexico cutting rates. I think it's the uh, 24th maybe central bank to cut rates this year. And talk of global recession uh, continues to be a topic all around the world. Ray Dalio talking to one of our affiliates uh, on CNBC. Take a listen to that. Recessions are always inevitable. In the next uh, two years, uh, let's say prior to the next election, there's probably a 40% chance of a recession. And I think that you're seeing this around the world. You will see greater interest rate cuts as you start to see the world economy starting to slow down. And I think you're seeing that being led now by the bonds. So we have a situation in which there's a lot of pressure to cut rates. Now, the question is, can you cut your way out of it? You know, uh, you have Bullard on the tape this morning saying, you know, you have to really get worried if you have a a longer period of an inversion. Tom Lee this morning arguing for a a 75 basis point cut in September. That's kind of where we are. And then whether it's effective or not is anyone's guess. Right. Uh, then you have uh, the corollary to, uh, to Dalio, of course, uh, David Rubenstein, co-founder of Carlyle, uh, talking about the fact that uh, n- negative interest rates do not necessarily preclude a recession in various economies around the world. Here's what he told uh, Joe Becky uh, earlier this morning on Squawk. I don't know when it's a recession is going to occur. We have them on average every seven years. We're now 10 years without a recession. That's very long. There's no guarantee there'll be a recession anytime soon. The U.S. economy is actually in pretty good shape. We're not an island, though, and there's no doubt that as 
economies in Europe and Asia slow down and go into recession, we can't completely avoid that. But at the moment, I don't see a recession in the imminent future. All right. So joining us this morning at Post 9, UBS Senior VP of Wealth Management, Jim LeCamp, and Credit Suisse Chief U.S. Equity Strategist, Managing Director, Jonathan Golub. Guys, happy Friday. It's good to see you both. Jonathan, you've had an interesting journey this year because you were pretty constructive in the first half. Right. You started to adjust your model uh, mid-year. Where are you right now, given what rates have been telling so us? So we put out a 3025 target for the year, which when we did, everybody thought that we were insanely bullish. We hit that, I don't know, maybe about eight or ten weeks ago, and and everyone's waiting for me to raise it. And I said, I'm not comfortable with conditions. I think that we're looking at flat money. And it's really important. I'm not saying I think the market's going to fall apart. We're not going into recession. Do we eventually get a recession? Sure. But it's not in the near-term horizon. But the, but the underlying data is really concerning. And falling interest rates like this are not a good thing for equities. Underlying data, what? We just had the biggest jump in retail sales in four months. Right. right? I mean, uh, jobless claims, employment continue to be robust. What's what's well, wrong? I think I maybe with Scott who mentioned this. You really have two markets. You have a consumer that's in surprisingly healthy shape. Um, unemployment is low. He's super confident. He's getting a raise. And then the cyclical data is real. Is probably whether we're in a global industrial recession or on the cusp of one in Europe. You know, German data contracting. China data contracting, and this is exactly what we had in 2015, where you had, a, you know, a kind of an okay economy and a kind of recessionary industrial economy at the same time. Yeah, the, the trade war, though, is the biggest risk card, and, and nobody knows how that's going to play out, Jim. We certainly don't. We have a lot of negative potential catalysts in front of us and not that many potential positive catalysts over the next few months. Remember where we are seasonally, August and September, historically our most volatile months. Now we've got a market that has already given everybody what it wanted this year. If you look at where Bank America, the Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, everybody already hit their targets this year and nobody knew what to do from there because the economy was already starting to slow down and the trade wars were heating up. Now we have PMIs which are leading economic indicators really softening here. Uh, the consumer's good, but the trade wars will bring uncertainty amongst small businesses. And they've been splitting the difference with their Chinese counterparts, but if it gets any worse, they're going to quit splitting the difference and inflation will start creeping in, uncertainty will creep in for businesses. So I think we have some violent consolidation in front of us the next couple of months. A lot of volatility, maybe we don't go that, that many uh, uh, points in a direction standpoint, but some violent consolidation setting the stage for a December rally. So I, I want to take a, the, the opposite side of this. This this is not about Trump tweeting on, on trade-related issues. You made the point that, that stocks are flat for a full year. And when did they, when, what really happened this year? You had, you know, interest rates peak around three and a quarter. They're now closer to 1.5. Second thing is industrial data in the U.S. started to roll, started to weaken in August of last year. Why? Because that's when the benefits from all of the stimulus and, and the tax stuff started to go away and you started to see that come in. So if, if you took away the, the Trump tweets on tariffs, mm. I, my view would be 100% the, the same. I don't know. The, the market has not been the same 
since the day after the Fed rate cut at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when the tweet hit about the September 1st tariffs. Right. market just purely hasn't been the same since. It left us now with all of these new questions. It was the Fed was cutting rates. The market initially went down. It started to go back up. And then you got the trade tweet, with which left the uncertainty that we live with now. You also got the language from China that they weren't going to back down. And one of the things about China is they're perfectly willing to let their people suffer, much more so than the American uh, administration will do. So a lot of people see the Chinese digging in. They don't see any relief on technology transfers or intellectual property theft, and they think this is going to drag on for a long time. In the meantime, the Treasury yields are coming down. Now, what's deceiving about that is that we still have higher yields than almost everybody else in the world. So it could be, Jed, part of the reason that bonds are rallying is because they're a bargain on a relative scale to $15 trillion in negative yielding debt around the world. So we need to join that party? Is that the plan? No, it's not a good matter. It's Greenspan says anywhere. it's just another number. Where has it worked? It hasn't worked anywhere. None of these economies have taken off. Japan hasn't taken off. Negative interest rates will be completely deleterious to the banks. There's no reason at all to do it here. No, I listen. I, I agree. I think this this belief that lower and lower rates through through zero is a good thing. I think is just crazy. The Fed has a reason to cut for for a very different reason. The long end of the curve is steeply sloped, which means that the market thinks we don't have a long term economic recessionary problem. The short end of the curve is is severely inverted between let's say Fed funds and out to two or three years. What that means is the Fed has basically miscalculated where the short end of the curve should be. If they go and went and, and Maybe I don't. Maybe Tom Lee's not going to get his 75. But if you got 25 or 50, more importantly, even if you got a statement from the Fed, we get it. An inverted short end of the curve is not where we want it to be, and we will be, you know, make sure that the conditions are, are supportive. That alone would totally change things without them needing to take big action. Uh, this that, week, that's well, fair. Yeah, one other thing about that. When you have an inverted uh, yield curve, the financials are going to suffer. What is the Russell 2000 made up of? Mostly financials and energy names. They aren't going to do well with an inverted curve. And if you don't get the Russell 2000 involved, you're not going to get any expansion in this market. They're going to stick with large, listed, blue-chip names. And it's going to be tough for this market to really shoot for another leg higher. All right. So what's the short-term playbook for you? The short-term, pl- the short-term playbook is the market has basically three buckets. You have a growth bucket, uh, you know, and it's only probably 35 names in the S&P that really are grow- you know, growthy names. You have defensive bond-like stuff, which as long as we, as, until the Fed, one of two things happen. In the Fed either engages this market or the economic data turns around, that stuff is going to continue to do well regardless of whether there's any growth there. And then you have stuff which is cyclical in nature, the stuff that Scott was talking about before. And until one of those two things happen, you want to stay clear away from those kind of industrials and, and materials. Um, so this is things. a Hershey, Procter, Yield, it, and, staples. And, and I'll tell you, though, the second you get an announcement from the Fed, the second you see some better data, they're going to get hurt. But as long as this thing stays sloppy and the Fed stays disengaged from this, those names are going to continue to do really well. Short-term playback book is be very careful over the next few months. Uh, if we look back at the presidential election cycles, the market should do better starting around December. But don't be surprised if we don't see something very unusual out of the Federal Reserve Board, like quantitative easing, or something unusual out of the Treasury, like issuing long bonds. Look at Twists. where the 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, we could see 50-year bonds issued or 100-year bonds. They did it in Austria. They did it in um, Argentina. It could happen here with rates at all-time lows. Maybe you get something coordinated next week, too, out of Jackson yeah. Hole. And that's a right. wild card as exactly. well, where you don't want to get too negative in advance of what could be a market-moving event there. Guys, good to see you. Good to see you. Be well. Good Have a good weekend. All right, that's Jim McCam, Jonathan Golub. All right, after GE shares 
get slammed on accusations of accounting fraud. The CEO buys more. We'll fill you in coming up. Also ahead, continued unrest in Hong Kong. We'll take you there for a live report. Let's take another look at futures on this uh, bounce back Friday. You've got the, uh, the Dow with an implied open of 185. S&P would open higher by 21. NASDAQ looks to be big winner out of the gates, uh, up by a 72. We're back after this. Squawk on the Street live from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Hong Kong protesters out in force right now. Our Brian Sullivan is there live on the ground. Brian, good evening to you. Hey, Scott, good evening. Thank you very much. They are out in force. I don't know how many there are. Probably a couple 10,000 is my best estimate. It's If you see those trees in the background where those red stoplights are, the park is behind that. I guess it would be like the Bryant Park of Manhattan, surrounded by bank skyscrapers here. The park is full. This is the overflow crowd. You can see there's a lot of people here. There's a couple different people talking. The main stage is inside that park. We were in there earlier, but literally there's so many people you just sort of can't move. It's been very peaceful so far. A lot of speeches given so far. Nothing yet has happened. It's still early, though. By the way, if you're wondering about all these laser pointers that you see, the police issued a ruling that laser pointers are considered a weapon because they can burn at close range. So people are pointing these pointers to kind of rouse the police, if you will, to say, hey, we've got our pointers out. Kind of, you know what I mean? Kind of giving it to them a little bit. Now, Despite the protests here, which have been very peaceful and calm, there's been obviously a lot of unrest, guys. And so the story that we've got on CNBC is how much does this impact the financial markets? If you're a CEO of a company here, if you're thinking about going public here, maybe like Alibaba and their secondary offering, does this dissuade you from listing your stock or moving people here? We spoke with an investment banker earlier today who said, yeah, there is unrest and there has been in the past, but what Hong Kong has going forward and always has is that it's a relatively stable financial market. The one thing that Hong Kong's going for it is that it's had very few failures of major listed Chinese companies here, which means the due diligence that's done in Hong Kong is done with understanding of how China operates. Whereas UK, the US in particular, Singapore, and even Frankfurt is littered with failed Chinese IPOs. Now, I know the Chinese stock bears, Scott and Carl, I mean, they'll tell you maybe because accounting rules are different for Chinese companies in the United States versus here. Either way, listen, the Hong Kong markets are hoping that what Jeff Hill said is what happens, that this does not stop companies from being here, from coming here and remaining arguably the financial center of Asia and the keyhole between the eastern and western financial markets. Brian, a lot of conjecture yesterday about whether or not the protesters could arrange a so-called run on the banks. Have we seen any evidence of that today? No, that's been going around for a while, Carl. I can tell you this much. Personally, I I took out some coin today because a lot of people want to be paid in cash for various services around here. So, so far, the banks do have money. But what you're referring to is some of the protesters have sort of put out on these message boards, hey, go out and take out all the money. Let's kind of drain the ATMs, if you will. So far, that has not happened. If my ATM card doesn't work, it may be a separate issue, but I will stay on the story. (laughs) 
Uh, Brian, uh, the, the intelligence you're bringing us from the ground uh, matters a lot, especially on a week like this. Uh, Brian Sullivan in Hong Kong will talk to you in a Thanks. bit. Meantime, uh, GE shares rebounding after their worst one-day performance in 11 years. CEO Larry Culp bought nearly $2 million in stock after Madoff whistleblower Harry Markopoulos uh, accused GE of committing a bigger fraud than Enron. Of course, he joined us yesterday. The numbers are missing. There's, they report top-line revenues, bottom-line profits, and nothing in between, like expenses, research and development, selling general administration costs, research and development. It's all missing, including cash flows. They don't provide working capital. It's the only company in that industry that doesn't provide working capital. In fact, GE's working capital is minus $20.3 Their current ratio is 0.67. If you word search current ratio in their annual report, it doesn't appear. Name a company that does that, that's accounting 101. Companies' losses accelerated while we spoke to Marco Polos. One of GE's board members offered a rebuttal yesterday on closing bell. This report today set a very dangerous precedent where somebody can just say things um, and then potentially benefit monetarily significantly from the decline in the stock of the company. That is wrong. And I really think that we need to investigate the motives for this. And because here we have uh, Mr. Marco Polis and whatever this unnamed hedge fund is probably benefiting significantly financially today. And yet the holders of GE stock have suffered a loss. Of course, uh, Culp just didn't buy stock. They put out a statement calling this uh, market manipulation, uh, pure and simple, uh, saying he's interested solely in generating downward volatility so he can personally profit. Let's realize what happened yesterday. You had a gentleman go on television, go public, and say that one of the most storied businesses in the history of this country was a criminal enterprise, essentially, likening it to Enron, where three people went to prison. Right. Ken Lay, Jeff Skilling, Andy Fastow, the CFO, a company that had, you know, phony subsidiaries where they were hiding losses, equating that to General Electric. And this morning on Squawk Box, you had, you know, Bill Cohen, who's writing a book about GE, uh, say that this doesn't ring true to him. It sounds too hyperbolic. hyperbolic. Nick Hyman. Uh, Nick Heyman came on. He's been following the company. It likened it to sort of throwing a Molotov cocktail. Uh, it's almost like yelling fire in a crowded theater, a company that's already under investigation for accounting issues. Let's just, you know, say that account, right? They're, they're being investigated for various accounting issues. Um, their fundamentals are, are in question in some corners of the market, right? And then you have this happen. Yeah. Of course, it does. Uh, the, the broader story is that in 2000, this was the largest company in the world. Uh, market cap of almost 600 billion, down 80 plus percent since then. So it's an amazing story in terms of capital loss. Yeah. Even before Harry Markopoulos came along. No idea who the firm is that Markopoulos is uh, working with. We're working on who that. Knows, who knows if they've covered the, their short? That's exactly I mean, right. yesterday was was down so big. Did they cover? Did he get paid? Because he gets a percentage of whatever the, the trade nets, if, if anything. A lot of questions still remain unanswered. All right. As we count down to the opening bell, let's take another look at the futures on this Friday. I'll show you how we're going to open. Dow would open higher by 160. S&P and the Nasdaq strong as well out of the gates. More squawk on the street from the New York Stock Exchange is straight ahead. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. There's a look at futures. We're going to see if it holds. Uh, futures are obviously off of the early morning highs as we need about 700 points on the Dow to get back even for the week. The opening bells in seven minutes. All right, welcome back. We're just a few minutes uh, before the opening bell. Let's bring in Kenny Polcari. Maybe we kind of already did. <laughs> you probably heard him when his mic was still on. That's kind of how it is around here. He's a principal, of course, with Butcher Joseph Asset Management, a CNBC contributor. All right, you were, you were going to say about the market? So I don't think we're going to hold on to these gains as we move into the end of the day. I think, you know, fine, we're showing up 15 points at the moment, which is off what it was earlier. But I think all those concerns that we've been talking about for the last, you know, month and a half, the slowing economy. China, trade, retaliatory threats back and forth. None of those have gone away. No, but the and economy's good, though, yes, here, the, right? More yes, data the, this week, all, right, right down the list yesterday. The, I, I, and I agree with you. I think the economy's good. But I think the market technically has suffered a bunch of uh, a bunch of damage over the last week, right? We, we The Dow broke its 200-day, didn't hold it, it has now rallied back. The S&P hasn't tested, NASDAQ hasn't tested. And I think for this cycle to be over, those two need to test the long-term support. That's what I think. And look, it almost looked like it was going to happen yesterday morning. And then China comes out and says, well, I'm hoping we can play nice in the sandbox, and boom, right? right. But the minute someone comes out with a negative tweet again, bang, so, there it's going to go. So when you say test, 2790, 2790 again, once again? Yeah, but we didn't. We got close. We didn't. We didn't really test it. In fact, the Dow pierced its 200-day, broke it, traded a little bit low, and then rallied about. The S&P and the Nasdaq haven't done that. And I think in order for this cycle to be over, that has to happen. Now, I feel good about the market. I like the market. I think the economy is great. But I think, based on the damage that's been done to the market, that that the market needs to know that the buyers are really there. Mm. All right, so I, I think that's the level. How's the Fed navigate? And I'm going to use your words: a boom and a bang market. <laughs> 
Listen, I, I, I think that uh, that uh, Jay Powell is under tremendous pressure, certainly with with not only the president now, but Navarro and everyone else jumping on, jumping on. But I think the Fed needs to just stay its course. It's got to shut that noise out, as difficult as it may be. Right. I was never one. I didn't think we needed this rate, the rate cut we got. I didn't think we needed it. But the market was going to throw a temper tantrum if it didn't get it. And the market's going to throw a temper tantrum if it doesn't get the next one. So I think he's almost forced into having to do it. Besides the fact that central banks around the world are doing it. So therefore, you got to kind of stay in line. But I'm not one of these guys that says we need a, you know, a, a 100 basis point cut at all. Another 25 basis point, in my opinion, would be max. You think that should be enough? I, I think that sh- should be more than enough. Because look, the economy's great. The consumer is great. The macro data is fine. So what are we cutting for? We're pushing on a string. And you, and you think he can bring the market around to that point of view? Well, wait, is it his response? Who? Jay Powell? Yeah. Is it Jay Powell's responsibility to do that? Since when was the Fed responsible for the market action? But the investors and traders and asset managers need to price the market. What's the risk? And so they'll, they will price the market. It's not the Fed's responsibility to price the market, nor is it the ECB's or the Bank of Japan or the People's Bank of China. None of it. Even though you have all this other stuff going on, as you say, you know, trade and geopolitical stuff, what if you just make it as simple as Mark Mobius is, is, is saying? You have a race to the bottom right. with central banks around the world. Which is, Stocks will go up be, in that environment. Because they have to. Because where else you go? Again, it's the same great financial crisis event, right? When rates went to zero or even negative, stocks went from 666 on the S&P to 3,000. Right over the course of the last decade. Would well, you agree because, with him that well, that premise? Well, where else are you going? When rates are zero, where else are you going to go? There is not any other place to go, which is why I think that's a problem. Because when rates even start to normalize a little bit, and we get only to two, two and a half or two and three quarters, and they were throwing a hissy fit. Right. If we get to three percent. In my mind, I think it's completely misaligned. I think the rates need to be normal. I don't think zero is normal. That's for sure. There's the opening bell. Kenny, stay with us. Uh, let's get the S&P 500 at the CNBC Real-Time Exchange and the big board commercial mortgage lending company Ladder Capital at the NASDAQ bank holding company Cross uh, First Bank Shares. Speaking of banks, the, uh, there's a great chart around this week. The spread between twos and Fed funds overlaid with small bank lending, right? Yeah. If that spread doesn't close, right. banks will get tougher on lending to small business. I, I think banks are going to get tougher on lending to small business, and I think banks are even going to get tougher on lending, quite honestly, in the mortgage space as well. I just think they're going to get tougher on lending because there's no, there's no meat in there. You've had, uh, you know, the dynamic where these, you know, the hunt for yield has been the story, right? Rates right. have been so low. Utilities and the staples, as Carl was saying Rates. to our, our prior guests, you know, what are you going to buy, Hershey and Procter and & Gamble and, and things like that? Are those the things that still are the, are the way to go? Well, so now, I, now what you have to look at is you have to look at value, but you have to look at dividend yield, right? What are some of these company, uh, companies paying, right? Three, four, five, six percent yield. That's actually a good place to put your money when rates are zero. Right. So you're going to start to look at some of those names that that are strong dividend players, that are consistent dividend players, that are play, that have a nice yield, that maybe some of these names have created on top of the yield. They're creating great value. Uh, interesting to see deer in the green at the open. Uh, they did miss at 280 or 271. Uh, looking for 285 ag equipment down six overall equipment down three. Uh, they cut their guide for the second consecutive quarter. They do cite tariff concerns and the obvious pressure on the farm economy. Right. 
Uh, but so, a little, I mean, it's definitely holding in here at 145. It's holding in, but I guess you'd have to go look at it. I'd have to see, I'd have to see uh, the chart up closer a little bit. But, you know, hasn't gotten so beaten up over the last week and a half that now it's, it's at a point where buyers are seeing longer-term value in it, and they're looking beyond today, tomorrow, and next week. Right, the big asset managers are finding value. That's what I'm talking about. Is that some of these names that have gotten unnecessarily beaten up because they're easy to sell because they're so liquid are now in a position to really benefit. And so, if you're someone who's got the long-term view, or if you're an asset manager, if you're even an individual that's got five, ten, fifteen years out, you days like this you love because <laughs> it provides an opportunity. Yeah, I wonder somewhat if you know we're we're kind of blowing the opportunity to have a positive market as the summer comes to a close before you get seasonally well, tough. Yeah, but August typically tends to be kind of a, a, a volatile month in general, but September and October do too as we move into the fall, and so you're right. I actually think, though, as we move into the end of the year, November and December again, I think that's when you're going to see kind of the market rally. I think you're going to have a rough couple of months. You know, you're going to have this volatile thrashing around in the market for the next couple of months, and then I think into the end of the year, you're going to start to see some light. That's my guess. Really? That's uh, what I think. I mean, uh, earnings estimates for the full year yeah. have oh, come, man, in. coming in. We're now looking time. at minus one five right. in January. January, we thought it was going to be six. Okay. So we think 2020 earnings are going to rebound? Uh, 2020 earnings, I think, well, when you say rebound, rebound to where? I don't know. Back to flat? I mean, it depends on where the Yeah, because look, they, we had a negative uh, forecast for this quarter that we're in. I think net-net in the end, they actually came in a little bit positive. Weren't they like up 1.5% versus down? Yeah. Zero, down what they thought it was going to be. So, yes, I think as we move into 2020, when you're going to see if we get a trade deal, and I still don't think we're going to get a trade deal certainly in the next couple of months. If we get one and we get any movement at all, it's going to be more towards the end of the year. Because, look, he needs that narrative. We're going into the election cycle now. We're already in it. But, you know, 2020, he needs that narrative. But no trade deal in the next few months. You're skeptical on earnings, but yet you think the market's going to go up in the Well, I'm not, the the it's not that I'm skeptical on earnings. I'm, I'm not, I think that earnings are going are to stabilize. I'm not skeptical on them. I just think, look, I think like anything, initial estimates are always worth, you know, you start to adjust as you get closer. And so I think we're going to see that adjustment happen as you start to move into the fourth quarter and then the, fir- and then the first quarter of next year. I actually think the market's okay. Uh, semis certainly look good today. Uh, they're going to all ride NVIDIA, which is the number one S&P you got uh, Western Dig, Micron, AMD uh, close behind. NVIDIA did beat uh, 124, revenue ahead. Uh, these high-end video game chips, again, a big secular tech story. Right. And, and now that Tom pulled back on those tariffs for Christmas, because he's worried about the consumer, those tech names, which have gotten beaten up, are all going to benefit, right? right? And then, you know, as we get close to Christmas on the 15th, and the threat of reimposing those tariffs is going to cause a turmoil again. But in fact, I don't think that, uh, I, don't, I, I think by then, will have solved that part of the problem. Apple back to 205 or just thereabouts. So Facebook's getting a boost. Right. You like those big, you know, the high growth, the fangs, or are they too, are they too dangerous here? No, well, listen, I, I like I like some of them, right? I, I, I don't use Facebook. I've never been a Facebook fan, so knock that one out. But names like Apple are names that I think in any portfolio deserve a position in your portfolio. But if you're looking, if you're a long-term investor, you just ride it out. But, but you can't listen to the noise because on days like we've had in the last couple, those are the first names to get beaten up, partly because they're big names. Everybody's in it. It's the overweighted trade. So when everyone gets nervous, everyone runs to the door. As the long-term investor, the last thing you should do is run right out the door on names like that as an individual. Let's point out, too, that GE uh, is getting about half of its losses back. 
this morning. That stock looks to me to be up about 6%, whereas yesterday it suffered its biggest losses in a, about 11 years. Right. Um, make of that story. Well, <laughs> uh, listen, we could talk all day long about what Tee I think about up. that story. I just think, I think the whole thing stinks. I think it just stinks, right? It smells. Partly because uh, Harry Macopoulos writes this, partners up with this undisclosed hedge fund, does all this work, gives them the report the day before or, the, or two days before they make it public, and then is going to share in any of the profits. Doesn't that stink to anybody? Doesn't that scream something's wrong with this picture to anybody? at all? A reputable guy. I mean, I, you know, we don't soil okay, I, him. I mean. Okay, he might be a reputable guy, but the fact is, he does his work, he partners up with you, he's going to benefit on a trade that you do on information that the public doesn't know yet. I'm going to give it to you first, and then we'll let the public know. I don't know. To me, that screams like... Doesn't space. say anything about his analysis, though. No. no, it doesn't say anything about his analysis, but it talks to, in my mind, it talks to character, right? But it doesn't say anything about the analysis, you're right, and I haven't looked at the analysis, and you know, there's one thing between fraudulent accounting and aggressive accounting. You know, we could talk about that all day long. But look, it's GE. I have trouble thinking it's fraudulent. I just have trouble thinking. I could be way wrong, but... What about the industrials in general? You know, more cyclical plays if you think that the U.S. economy is good, but you're worried about globally... Yeah, but listen, so again, you have to be specific. You may not buy them in a swath across the board. It's like anything, right? You, you do your homework and you buy names that are going to benefit. Either they're going to benefit from the U.S. economy or they're going to benefit. You have to look past the, you have to look past the economic cycle. Because, look, here's the other thing that you know, has been driving me crazy the last couple of days. Everyone's talking about the pending recession. Look, we're going to get a recession. And the Dow's going to trade at 30000 one day, right? It's going to happen. We know that. It's just part of the economic cycle. So the recession is coming. You set yourself up. You just it's not coming tomorrow. It's not knocking on the door. It's not here right now. It might be 15 or 16 months out, but you just set yourself up as you see. It's very dynamic. It's not static. Uh, the Journal's got a piece that the White House president goes back to work on Monday yep. and that they are going to hold a call on Tuesday with state and local officials with Kudlow about the economy. And then we got Jackson Hole. So right. I'm just saying, what are the, the likelihood of catalysts that spur buyers next well, week? Listen, I think you're going to get Cudlow out. You're gonna, they're all going to talk about how great the economy is. Trump did it yesterday and the day before. Walmart earnings are great. Look how great we're doing. It's all good. I think we all agree that the U.S. macro data is not falling off the cliff, right? We think that the U.S. economy is okay. But I think the trouble is going to be the narrative around the world has been so negative with whether it's the, the, the latest Chinese numbers, the latest German numbers, the Eurozone you know, GDP going negative. Now, that's certainly not a positive story, but it's also not the end of the world at the moment, and the ECB is set. Uh, I think he's going to throw it, he threw it straight into Christine Lagarde's lap to deal with about, you know, the next move that the ECB is going to make. But I think, like anything, you have, to, you have to do your homework, and you have to pick stocks that you think are going to benefit in, in our environment. Can the market get to a point or a place where it can just tell that story to itself? U.S. economy's good, the Fed has its back, or is it still going to be consumed with every headline or tweet about yeah, trade? So, so here's what I think about that. I think the human beings in this industry can see the much bigger picture. I think the problem comes with the, with the smart logic algorithms that read headlines and they read words and they read positive words and they read negative words and then create that cascade effect, whether it's on the downside or the upside. So I think what ends up happening with that is that the, the human trader kind of takes it all and looks at the broader picture. The algos to yet have been unable to really interpret the meaning of a conversation. And even though the word might be negative, there might be a still, there really might be a positive story in there that it doesn't see. Well, you're raising the worry that some have, and that is 
in the last crisis, we didn't have the machines at this level. That's correct. We don't, we don't know what, how much it'll change because of it. That's correct. But what we do have, we have the circuit breakers. So if the market really starts to melt down, you have the circuit breakers. They're going to say, wait, full stop. Everybody take a breath. What's happening? Right. right? So that is what we do have. But you're right. We did not have the, the advanced technology and algorithms in 2007 that we have today. We making too much of the inverted yield curve, whereas you know, people like Bullard are out there saying, look, for a prolonged period of time, we got, then it's a problem. But right. what we had... Listen, what did it invert for all of three minutes on Monday or whatever day it inverted? Uh, I okay, maybe it was five minutes. But yes, I think you're making... I think, not you, I think we are make we the country is making or the or the people that are talking are making way too much of that of that very small inversion. Well, I mean, the market did go down 800 yeah, points. Uh, well, doubt, did. I hear you, right. but because everyone's going, oh my God, it inverted, the recession's coming 15 months from now, so let's sell everything now. That, that's almost ridiculous. Well, what about negative real rates? What about the 30 year well, or two? Okay. I mean, it's not just the curve. No, but look, but look what's happening. People are searching for yield, so they're coming to the United States. They're buying our, our, our money, our, our bonds, and our treasuries, and so that's forcing the yield to go lower. But one way or the other, do I think we're going to zero? I don't think the United States is going negative. Are we going to get close to zero? I would imagine probably if this keeps going. But I also think that, uh, that, uh, that people have to start to recognize and put in place. And I think it's actually happening. Because notice that day that the market was down 800 points, there wasn't this sense of panic at all. People were just sitting there going, yeah, okay, it's another one of these computer-driven sell-offs. And no, look but what's you, happened. You did have, you know, the nightly newscasts yes, in mainstream television leading their shows or the second story in with because it explaining has to. a yield curve inversion to the to the mass Right, which I think was public. honestly really a waste of time to try to explain that whole yield curve inversion to just the masses because I don't think the masses really care. I think the masses really care about what's the state of the economy, how do we, you know, how do we set ourselves up for whatever's coming. They don't really care did the yield curve invert for 30 seconds. It makes no difference to the average American, right? Does it? That makes no difference. Well, it, care, it, it makes sense to the bond market. It, it makes sense to the bond market, but for the average investor that's out there, you know, they're about busy. They're out doing their work. They're running their businesses. Are they really so? So, uh, so is the bond market going to come back and say, "My bad, no, we no. got this wrong"? No, no, I don't. I, I, I don't think the bond market's going to come back and say we got it wrong. But look, it's the investors in the bond market that are buying all our treasuries that are forcing the bond market lower, right? In anticipation of what they think is going to be tougher times ahead. And we listen. We're going to get a recession. Absolutely, we're going to get it. When are we going to get it? I have no idea. But <laughs> when it's coming, I want to show uh, the Dow's wild week again. We made this wall, and and, and as I ask you this next question question. Is this how it's going to be? Volatility, the level of which we experienced this week, no. down 380, up 373, down eight, up one. Who knows what today holds? I, I think it's going to be like that through through the end of August, just because go back to all the damage that the markets had. And so you got this thrashing around until the market kind of stabilizes and finds that level. So yeah, I think the volatility will continue. I think you're going to see days like that. And you're specifically going to see days like that as he keeps tweeting. Trump keeps tweeting, whatever it is. And, and the next time China, that's why I'm worried about today, because you're coming into a weekend, right? So a lot can happen on Saturday and Sunday coming out of China. You could get, like we did on Monday, two weeks ago, when they devalued the yuan, the market got slammed. The same thing could happen on Sunday night into Monday morning. China comes out with this retaliatory effort, which they've already threatened they're going to do. So what's it going to be? No one really knows. But that's why I'd be a little bit more cautious going into the end of the day today. The boom just and bang. I, Watch just, out for the boom and yeah, bang. Just because I, I would tend to play. That's just my personality. I tend to play. <laughs> it's been great hanging with you. KP, that was the best 13 minutes of the week. Thank you. Good seeing you. Uh, so we're up 169. Dominic Chu's working the floor for us today. Hey, Dom. 
we got right now is a situation, Carl, where we are still on pace, even with today's gains, to show you a market that is on track for its third straight week of losses. As you as you take a look at the Dow Industrials, the S&P 500 and Nasdaq, we are still higher on the day. But remember, we started off a little bit higher. We'll see if that kind of momentum can continue into the later part of this morning. If you take this in context over the course of the S&P 500 in the last year, one of the things that you'll notice is that we are still trying to get back to some levels that some traders are looking as significant. If you look at the S&P 500 over that time, the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq on a one week basis, still moving lower to the downside on that one week basis. However, with the S&P 500 overall, we're still within about five or so percent away from record highs. So let's take a look at this, because remember, just here, just a few weeks back, right here, we'll show you it was that record high. And then if you take a look at where we stand now, that move lower is about five percent from those levels here. We are still going to keep a close eye on what's happening up here. Twenty nine forty four on the S&P 500 is going to be an area to watch. That's the 50-day moving average, the more medium-term trend line for the overall markets. As we talk about maybe some of the sectors involved, places that we're going to watch with regard to what's happened in the market narrative as of late. If you go all the way back in August, remember the Fed rate decision at the end of July, since then, we've seen a decided move towards interest rate-sensitive sectors. Real estate investment trusts right now up 3% just so far this month to date. You put in consumer staples and utilities in that mix as well. More defensive, higher dividend-paying type sectors are the ones leading the way higher. Meanwhile, financials, we talk about the yield curve. That's been playing out a lot in those bank stocks. As the yield curve starts to flatten out and possibly invert, those bank stocks have taken a huge hit. And then energy stocks as well on global growth concerns. Down 11% just so far this month. Those sectors are key focus as well. On the stock side of things, mega cap, technology, communication services and media stocks have been some of the places investors have been buying on the dips a little bit more aggressively so far this week. If you take a look at this week overall, still, though, Facebook down 2 percent, Amazon down 1 percent. Apple, though, here, a China issue, perhaps there playing out more in the Apple shares and Netflix down 3 percent and Alphabet down about 1 percent. Those FANG stocks will continue to be a focus for traders as they see whether or not sentiment returns there. And then we'll end here on an overall check right now of what's happening in certain other parts of the market. The S&P 500 large caps on a one-year basis still handily outperforming the Russell. What we are going to watch right here is this underperformance by small caps. Will it start to exacerbate? That gap between small and large cap stocks has been getting wider as of late. We'll see if that continues today. It may be a risk gauge or risk sentiment or risk barometer for the overall market. So those small cap stocks still, Scott Wapner, a huge focus for traders today. I'll send things back. All right, Don, we appreciate it. That's Don Chu on the floor for us. Let's go now to Chicago, the bond pits. That's where Rick Santelli is at the CME Group. Hey, Rick. Thanks, Scott. Historic week, of course, in treasuries, but maybe a more historic week if you look at global rates or the dollar index. Look at a one week of two-year note yields. You know, they're unchanged on the day. Doesn't sound too scary down 15.15 basis points on the week. One week of 10-year, definitely drifting, not quite on the lowest yields, but not far. Remember, 136 of the yield from 2012 and 2016 that represents historic double bottom closes, lowest in history. One week there, down 20 basis points. And by the way, 30-year bonds, they sit at 2%, down 26 basis points on the week. But let's really look at the epicenter. Let's look at the shots, the two-year in Europe. There's a 20-year chart hovering around minus 90, nine-zero basis points. A one week of the euro versus the dollar gives you a glimpse of a currency whose central bank 
takes easing to a new dimension. It's one week is definitely drifting lower. And we know the dollar index is hovering just within a quarter cent of fresh 27-month highs going back to May 2017. Well, here's the mirror image. The euro lows against the dollar. You guessed it. Lowest level since May of 2017. Scott, back to you. Rick, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. For more on today's movers, let's go to Bertha Coombs at the NASDAQ, and it's an NVIDIA day. Bertha? It, it really is, Scott. It's setting a very positive tone in terms of chips. And uh, this morning at the open, it looked like chips were actually going to be positive for the week. NVIDIA with a beat and a raise. That is moving up the rest. But we've got a little bit of a drag in that space in the chip equipment sector. Applied materials, despite beating and maintaining its outlook, had a more muted tone toward whether we are starting to see a bottom and we'll see a pickup in demand. So the chip equipment makers are getting dragged a little bit there by applied materials. As far as this week, uh, most of the sectors, as along with the NASDAQ itself, on pace for the third straight weekly loss, we're going to watch chips to see whether or not they will end up even on the day. Software lower communications, hardware, though, set to snap a three-week losing streak. Part of the reason there is that Apple, among the only FANG stocks and the only mega caps that is actually up for the week. And one thing to note, Scott, we did see the Russell 2000 this morning veering near the June lows. Most of the indices have managed to hold last week's lows. Russell was near the June low, but bounced from there. Still going to be down for the week, but a little bit of a positive silver lining on that. Back to you. All right, Bertha, thank you very much. Our Bertha Coombs. Uh, we're up 156 on the Dow. A month to date, Dow's down about 4.8%, uh, 4.5 for the S&P. We'll see how this Friday goes as we try to unwind some of the losses for this third consecutive week. Back in a minute. Take a look at the Dow's biggest laggards of the week so far. Cisco down 10 followed by Dow, Chevron, UTX, and Walgreens. Walmart actually leading the Dow for the week. The Dow is up 156. We're back in a minute. Keep your eye on Beyond Meat this morning. Uh, Topped out at 239 in late July, is now below the 200-day for really only the second time since May at 140. Um, What a torrential story that was on the upside and now perhaps on the downside. Yeah, I mean, people were saying, what, you know, beyond insane on the way up and I don't know where it's going to settle on the way down. I was also thinking as you were, you know, telling the the folks back at at headquarters you wanted to talk about this, I was thinking also about WeWork, you know, this week and to see what this market environment means for them as they try and go public when they, you know, gave the S1, revealed this massive loss. You're talking about an uncertain environment, and I, I just wonder how that's going to be received. It may be far different than Beyond Meat was, was initially received. I, I, you don't know, know, but the reviews of the S1 have been like something we haven't seen in recent history. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. They're mixed at best. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 